It's good to see you all this morning. As we continue to worship, I ask if you have a Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9. If you don't have one and you want one, we have a few Bibles in the back. We'd love to give one to you as a gift, and uh, we'd love to help you uh, get on a reading plan, a study plan as well. And we also will have the text on the screen for you as well. We've been in the book of Deuteronomy now for a little while and and, um, seeing how God is doing amazing things for the glory of his name and for the good of his people and that uh, those who don't know him would know his greatness and goodness. And this is ultimately true for you and I today in Jesus Christ. So as we continue in the book of Deuteronomy today, we're going to be looking uh, more today um, about what rebellion looks like and then what true redemption looks like um, ultimately through Jesus Christ. So as you turn to Deuteronomy 9, uh, verses 13 uh, through 29, let me pray uh, as we get started. Father God in heaven, you are a good and holy God. You are glorious and gracious and loving and kind to your people. God, we thank you that you are a patient God. Uh, You are patient with stubborn, uh, rebellious people. God, as you've shown throughout generations and through your scriptures, and God, as we look today at this story in Deuteronomy, God, how you dealt very kindly and patiently uh, with your people. Um, God, I pray that that we would see your goodness uh, revealed through Jesus Christ and through your word today. God, that you would convict us of sin. Uh, that you would comfort us in our brokenness, God, that we would lean uh, into Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, Um, God, that we would do so uh, trusting your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy. So God, I pray for all of us this morning, God, for those who maybe do not know you and are considering the faith, God, I pray that you speak very uh, clearly to their hearts and minds. God, for those of us who are believers uh, maybe long-time believers that there would be a freshness, a joy in the faith maybe that we have not experienced in some time. And, and so, God, I pray that in all things, um, as your Holy Spirit works this morning, I pray that in all things that you would be glorified uh, and that we would find great joy in Christ and that the gospel would advance. We pray in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 13. Furthermore, the Lord said to me, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stubborn people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make for you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain was burning with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were in my two hands, and I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you, So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. Then I lay prostrate before the Lord as before, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all the sin you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure that the Lord bore against you, so that he was ready to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me that time also. The Lord was so angry with Aaron that he was ready to destroy him. And I prayed for Aaron also at that time. Then I took the sinful thing, the calf that you had made, and burned it with fire and crushed it, grinding it very small until it was as fine as dust. And I threw the dust into the brook that ran down from the mountain. At Taborah also and at Massa and at Kibroth Havatah, you provoked the Lord to wrath. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given you, you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew. So I lay prostrate before the Lord 
for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or the wickedness or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, he has brought them out to the death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage, whom you brought out with your great power and by your outstretched arm. This is God's word. Friends, pride always leads to destruction. And pride can manifest itself as self-righteousness and stubbornness, unwilling to follow God's direction and utter rebellion. In today's story, we see how pride ultimately leads to rebellion and how rebellion manifests itself with utter idolatry. Now, when we talk about idolatry and rebellion, we often think idolatry is merely something that is like worshiping a statue. All right, that's what we see in this story. It's what you may think of, of like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or something. But idolatry is more than just an action. It stems from as a consequence of the human heart being stubborn and going away from the Lord. Idolatry is any time humans put something else in the place of God. Something else or someone else. It could be something very tangible, like if I just have more money, then I will feel secure and accepted and valued and loved. And so money becomes an idol and you serve with your life the pursuit of money or comfort or a relationship. If I just had this relationship with this person, then my life would be complete. See, idolatry is when we put something else in the place of God in our lives. And it can be a good thing. Often it is a good thing. Sometimes it can be a bad thing. It is when our lives' attention and affection and motivation is anywhere else other than God. And we see in this passage today in this story, if you've been tracking with us, that God had freed his people from bondage in Egypt. They had been in bondage for generations and enslaved to the Egyptian people. And God, out of his grace and by his might, had freed his people to, to lead them to a new land where they could thrive in their identity as God's people, that they could thrive as a community as God's people, that they could worship God alone, that God would be their God, God would be their king, he would be their people. And along the way, Scripture des- describes them as uh, stubborn, as stiff-necked, as rebellious people. It's easy for you and I to say, wow, shame on them, bad people. But what we see in Scripture is, is the rebellion and stubbornness of Israel in this passage is no different than the condition of our human hearts, that we too are rebellious, that we too need rescue, that we too need redemption. So along the way, as Israel is is traveling uh, for several decades, along the way, they pick up other cultural idols that some of them want to revert back to being back in Egypt. Many of them say, hey, you know what, We'd, we'd rather just go back in bondage in Egypt. At least there we had good food to eat. They start to distrust and disbelieve God. And ultimately, that is where rebellion comes from. 
the moment we as people decide that we know better than God, that we cannot trust him, that we cannot believe him, that we doubt that he would make good on his promises. And so the story we see today, you get a great picture of God's people turning away from him as Moses this amazing paradox. We see Moses goes up on the mountain to meet with the Lord and the Lord gives him a stone tablets of the written covenant saying, this is the relationship I have to you. I am your God. You are my people. Take this down the mountain and tell this good news to the people. And when Moses comes down from the mountain, he finds the people have fashioned for themselves an idol, a very tangible statue to worship and say, you know what? We're going to trust this thing that we've made with our hands rather than trust the God who has freed us. We are going to put our belief and faith and attention and affection and motivation toward this thing rather than the God who has freed us and identified us as his people. See, we see this great contrast and we see what happens next. You see that Moses comes down from the mountain and says, look, you guys are messed up. You have broken the covenant that God has made with you. And as a sign of that brokenness, Moses smashes the stone tablets of the covenant as a, as a very tangible uh, expression of what has happened. And Moses prays on behalf of the people and prays on behalf of Aaron to the Lord. And as we see that, we see that this is not, I don't want us to miss the bigger picture here. I mean, there's great power when somebody intercedes from, for somebody else. There's great power when we pray to the Lord on behalf of others that God would move and do something amazing. But what we see in the bigger context of this story is we see a great big picture of redemption of God's broken people in Israel just as God's people are broken today. We see this great intercessor, Moses, interceding on behalf of the people. And you and I know that we can trust Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant today. So what I want us to do is see the contrast from rebellion to redemption today. I want us to see what scripture in these verses tell us about rebellion and how that applies for us today. And then I want us to see the redemption, not only that happens here in the Old Testament, but ultimately in Christ. So that's where we're going today. So look, let's first see rebellion. Verses 23 and 24 uh, spell it out very good for us here. It says, when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, go up and take possession of the land that I have given you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Scripture tells us very plainly in these verses that rebellion is a break of covenant relationship, that a rebellion stems from disbelief and manifests in disobedience, and that it's a chronic condition. That's what these two verses tell us today. You see that rebellion is a break of covenant relationship. In fact, a couple of verses prior in verse 15 through 17, it says, Moses says, um, so I turned down and came from the mountain and the mountain was burning with fire and I had the two t- tablets of covenant in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had made yourselves a golden calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way that the Lord had commanded you. So I took hold of the two tablets and threw them out of my hands and broke them before your eyes. You see, rebellion is a break of covenant relationship. God was making good on his promises. God was not breaking the relationship with his people, but rather people were breaking their relationship with God. Rebellion at its core, is a break of covenant relationship. 
And as a symbol of that, Moses breaks the stone tablets of the covenant. But you see, rebellion also stems from disbelief, which is what happens in verse 23. God had freed them. He had, um, was saying, go take possession of this land. I'm giving you this land. It is a gift. I am your God. You are my people. Here's some land. Go get it. And verse 23 says, You rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe him. Belief is far more than just an intellectual understanding of facts. Like you can say, well, I believe that there are X number of chairs in this room. I believe that, you know, two plus two is four, right? Belief goes far more than just an intellectual understanding of facts, although it's part of that. Belief has to do with trust. It has to do with relational trust. You can say, I believe that my spouse loves me. I believe that you know, I love my children. I believe that God loves me. What happens here is rebellion stems from disbelief. God's people said, you know what? Although God has done these factual things, they could have said, hey, we believe that God freed us from Egypt. That's a tangible fact. We can all look and say, God freed us from Egypt. We all believe that. But at some point, they stopped believing, they stopped trusting in God's goodness, relationally. They said, you know what? Things aren't going the way we thought, so we don't know that we can trust the Lord anymore. In fact, maybe we should take matters into our own hands and just uh, to show off our ingenuity and creativity, let's just fashion this little idol and we'll just worship that thing because we have more hope from this statue that we've made than the Lord who has freed us from Egypt. How does that play out in your life today? I mean, just think about it, because I want us to to see what was going on with Israel and with Yahweh and what God was doing in this amazing story in the Old Testament. But I want us to pause, because rebellion plays out for you and I today. And I want us to see the times in our lives where maybe rebellion is a break of a relationship from God because we distrust him, because we stopped relationally trusting in God. You see, rebellion is not just an action, uh, it's not just a heart attitude or attention of our mind, but it, it comes out very practically in our disobedience, as verse 23 says here. It says, you've rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. God commanded them to do something, and they said, no, that's rebellion. The Lord, you did not believe him. You did not obey his voice. You see, there's no way that you can distrust and, and, excuse me, you cannot distrust and disbelieve the Lord and then go and obey. It just doesn't, doesn't happen that way. But how often have we tried? How often have you seen that? Have you ever said, you know what, I, I don't think God is good, I don't trust, I don't, I, don't, I don't believe him, but let me just, you know, maybe you did this as a kid or a teenager, I did, I'll just tell you that. So kind of distrusting, disbelieving the Lord, but I'm just going to go to church and kind of do what I'm supposed to do and have this outward appearance of obedience. Like fake it till you make it, right? Friends, that, that just doesn't happen and it doesn't work. As you distrust and disbelieve the Lord with your mind's attention and your heart's affection, the natural consequence is outward practical disobedience. It's what's going to happen. 
There's nobody that is outwardly disobeying and rebelling the Lord that internally really is trusting the Lord affectionately. It just doesn't happen that way. There's no one that is doubting the Lord in their hearts and on the outside can maintain very good, proper obedience. People try, and they can sometimes do it for a long time, but at some point in time, if you distrust and disbelieve the Lord in your heart and minds, your actions are going to show the fruit of that. And that's exactly what happens with Israel here. They had been doubting, distrusting, and disbelieving the Lord. In fact, Moses says, you've been rebellious against the the Lord since the day I knew you. Rebellion is a chronic condition for Israel. It is something they have been doing for generations. And Moses just lays it out there plainly. And so that is where you and I must find ourselves in this biblical truth today. If rebellion is a break of covenant relationship, rebellion stems from disbelief. Rebellion manifests as disobedience, and rebellion is a chronic condition, meaning it affects everyone all the time. Where does that leave you and I today? Where where do you find yourself in this picture? Do you struggle with doubting, disbelieving the Lord's goodness? I mean, if you do, let's just come out with it already. I don't want to tell you to bury your doubts and disbeliefs as long as you show up to church and give your money and on the outside look all obedient because all that's going to do is mess you up and mess all of us up, and that's not the gospel. We're going to get to the good part of the gospel in a minute, but I want us to first identify where rebellion is in our lives and hearts, right? And I want us to just name it and say, look, dude, I'm struggling with doubts. I'm struggling with disbelief. You know, God is so good and so powerful. He can handle your doubts and disbelief. In fact, he can handle your rebellion, as it were. But in our rebellion, I don't want us to say we're rebellious. So rather than trust God's grace and goodness and forgiveness to us, let's run over here and fashion ourselves this statue to worship. Because you could say, Jeremy, I would never fashion a statue to worship. Or, or maybe you're, you know, the common struggle will be like, well, I'm pursuing money and fame and fortune and status and comfort and convenience, and that's my idol. But friends, sometimes idols can be made out of good things. Track, track this with me. What if in your heart, just what if you're saying, I'm, I'm struggling with doubt and disbelief and distrusting the Lord, but rather than lean into him, trusting in his mercy and grace and patience, out of fear, I'm going to fashion myself this really niche, spiritual, traditional discipline so that it looks, looks good. Maybe I can somehow do this multi-step disciplinary program and fix myself. Maybe I can do better, try harder, maybe I can be more religious, be more churchy, maybe I could do better good deeds and do all this great stuff, and then maybe I won't be distrusting and disbelieving and doubting the Lord anymore. That's an idol, right? That's such an acceptable, great, popular idol in the overchurch South, right? You don't ever want to say, I'm distrusting the Lord God, have mercy on me, but rather we're told, hey, I'm distrusting and doubting the Lord. You better go over here and get it together until you can go back and and clean yourself up, and then you can go talk to the Lord, right? That's a common environment, friends. It's an environment I was far too familiar with myself. 
Friends, let me tell you, if you were struggling with doubt and disbelief, let's put it in the context of Israel. If Israel, I'm not going to tell what they should have done because I'm a, you know, I'm a rebel. I probably would have done the same thing had Christ not rescued me. But I'm just saying, imagine if Israel, you know, Moses is like, y'all, that's what he said. Y'all, I'm going to go up the mountain to meet with the Lord and I'll bring back, you know, some good covenant tablets for us to celebrate. While I'm gone, just worship God, and I'll be back in 40 days, right? Moses goes up the mountain. What if, while Moses was gone, the people were like, we're we're struggling with doubts. We're struggling with disbelief. We're struggling with rebellion in our heart. We need to get up the mountain as fast as possible so God can save us. What if they would have done that? Did they do that? No. They said, you know what? Moses is gone, just all chummy with God. Let's, let's worship an idol instead, one that we've made. That's just brilliant to me, <laughs> to think that you could create something that's like awesomer than yourself. But friends, this is a chronic condition for everyone all the time. Everybody rebels in their heart's affection, their mind's attention, the motivation of their life, and it plays out with our disobedience. But oh, in our religious context, we like to cover it up, and all that is is taking a beautiful, pretty little idol and putting it over your sin and rebellion. I don't want any part of that. I hope you don't either. So don't. We're going to look at Jesus in a second, because he's the only one that can rescue us. I love Spurgeon as this great British preacher, and I like him because he was moody and depressed, and he loved the Lord and wrote some awesome stuff that I read all the time. And he was quoted one time as saying, "As your religion cannot save you, it will condemn you. It will damn you. Your religion is just painted pageantry to go to hell in. Right? And I was thinking about that quote this week, thinking that's exactly what our, you know, do better, try harder, let's be good Southern Christian idolatry is. It is, let's just be just Christian-y little people trying to bury the rebellion in our hearts so that we can just look like we're obeying, but all the while we're rotting on the inside, neglecting the Lord over here, saying, I am gracious I am slow to anger. I am abounding in steadfast love. Look what I have done for generations of rebellious people. I will do this for you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. You will find rest. And all the while we're saying, well, we got got this. No, Lord, we're not rebellious. No, Lord, we're not stubborn. Look, let's just clean ourselves up. Friends, rebellion is a chronic condition stemming from disbelief, disobedience. It is a broken covenant relationship that is all our fault. Now, hang with me, because I hope in your mind right now, I hope to, I mean, if if you're in my, I'm not rebellious. Yeah, you are. That was rebellious of you to say that. Identify what rebellion looks like in your life, your disbelief, your distrust of God's goodness. Identify it and hang on to it and keep it in the forefront of your mind right now because I want us to see that we cannot rescue ourselves, that we cannot save ourselves, that we are all utterly struggling with rebellion all the time. It makes for great songwriting, but it does not make good for relationship with the Lord, I'll just say. But I want us to see that God is so good 
that he offers redemption even in this scenario. Even when Moses comes down and like throws, I just love that. Moses like, I've just met with the Lord. Things are awesome. You guys are idolaters. And he just like pitches this little fit. Just like, I'm going to break these stones. And I'm going to go pray again. And he goes back and prays before the Lord for 40 more days. That's just awesome. I mean, I would have been so fed up. Just like, good grief, people, really? But Moses, anyway, let's see what redemption looks like in this story. Verse 24 says, you have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. (laughs) Verse 25, check this out. This is so good. So I lay prostrate before the Lord these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had said he would destroy you. Then I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness of their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he's promised them, and because he hated them and brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out with great power and by your outstretched arm. This is the good news of the gospel. Rebellion, chronic condition, broken covenant relationship, stems from disbelief, plays out in disobedience. What a mess. The good news of redemption is this. There is rescue. There is forgiveness. There is a new identity. And it comes out of God's mercy and grace through his servants. Look, look what happens here. First of all, I just love that, that Moses, I want you to see that verse 25 is not an arrogant statement of Moses to say, so you rebellious people, that's what he says in verse 24, you've been rebellious since the day I knew you. Verse 25, so I, I lay prostrate before the Lord. Now, if you read it like that, you think, man, Moses is so, he's like, well, I let, you know, I was praying with the Lord while you guys were rebellious, but this is what I love about this statement. Verse 24 and 25 show the the complete polarity of rebellion and redemption. It's very important to see. Moses is not saying, hey, it's all about me praying before the Lord, and that's why you are being rescued. Rather, he's saying, I am going to be uh, intercessing on your behalf, and God is going to do the rescuing. This is actually foreshadowing what Jesus does for us. Jesus is the one who lays down before the Lord our God on our behalf so that we may have redemption. It's really cool. You've been rebellious since the day I knew you, and I'm praying that the Lord will save you. But look what redemption looks like. It's rescue, it's forgiveness, it's a new identity. Verse 26 says, I prayed to the Lord, O Lord God, destroy not your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Friends, redemption means to be rescued, to be freed from bondage. It means to be set free, literally, from slavery. It also has to do with being preserved and, and cared for during this time of wilderness. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to see that for generations, God people, God's people had been enslaved in Egypt, and God set them free from it totally. Just, bam, you are free. Now, now go be free. Don't go back to bondage. Don't go back to slavery. Don't, don't submit back to that lifestyle. 
And as they are rebelling in the wilderness, redemption was not only that initial freedom, but it was this ongoing provision and protection in the wilderness. Even while they were rebelling, God fed them and clothed them and kept them hydrated and alive. That is redemption. It is being rescued from that. It is being literally, that's why we named this church Redemption Church. It, It means you have been literally purchased for freedom's sake. And my favorite local story, you've heard it before, you'll hear it again right now, is downtown Augusta has one of the oldest African-American churches that is still, in, that is still in, um, operating um, from a long time ago, <laughs> 1700s, right? Springfield Baptist Church is right behind Mellow Mushroom. Go get a slice of pizza and go back there and look at it. It's a very cool church building. And in the 1800s, <clears throat> mid-1800s, they had a pastor named Kelly Lowe who was actually a slave. He was a slave, but he also pastored this church. And as he was pastoring this church, the congregation grew to over a thousand people. And they started planting church congregations around the Augusta area. They actually started a Christian school that later moved to Atlanta and became Morehouse College. Kelly Lowe was a slave. Eventually, his congregation gathered enough funds to purchase his freedom so that he could be the pastor full time there uninterrupted. That's a picture of redemption. Having your freedom purchased so you could be free to thrive in gospel mission. I love that story. I'll tell it again next week. (laughs) Redemption is being rescued, being freed from bondage and being preserved through wilderness and through hardship. Redemption also is forgiveness. Look at verse 27. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are the forefathers of Israel that God had covenanted with and made promises to and had made good on promises through their lineage, even though they were stubborn, rebellious people too. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people or their wickedness or their sin. God does not regard That means to to fixate on it. It doesn't mean that God ignores it and just says, yes, sin all you want. It means that the Lord says, I am, I see it. I am choosing to not pour the consequence of this on you. I will disregard it. I, I see it. God's not. God's not like absent-minded when it comes to our sin. <laughs> he doesn't just ignore it and say, what's, what's sin? They're just my people. What's sin? He sees it, but he doesn't regard, meaning he doesn't fix his eyes on it and dwell on it and say, this will define you from now on. You will now deal with the consequences of this from now on. That's what regarding means. And Moses says, Lord, please, with your redemption, you've set them free. You've rescued your people. Remember the covenant you've made with these people, with their, with their lineage. Please do not regard the stubbornness of these people. Do not, do not let their stubbornness define them. Do not let their stubbornness uh, be the, the consequence that they have to deal with for their lifetime. He says, or their wickedness or their sin. God when we are redeemed, when we are rescued, though we sin, though we rebel, that does not define us anymore. We are not defined by our sin and rebellion. We are not defined by our stubbornness. We are not defined by our wickedness. That's, that's what Moses was saying when he was interceding. He was saying, Lord, I'm praying to you, God, 
don't let these people be defined by their sin, wickedness, or stubbornness anymore. God, in your mercy, do not pour out your wrath, the, the due penalty and consequence and payment for their sin and wickedness and stubbornness. Please do not do that. He looks over it. We see that this comes also because redemption is an identity. I love this. Wow, verse 29, for, you, for they are your people and your heritage whom you brought out with your great power and with your outstretched arm. Redemption is an identity. Heritage is defined by what owns you. Did you know that? Like to say that these people are, are God's heritage, it means that, that God owns them. Like that's, that's the beauty of this redemptive story is that they are set free only to be owned by someone else, right? They're, that's what redemption really is. It's not just freedom to just go crazy. It's freedom to, to live free and joyful because somebody has purchased your freedom. God does this for his people. They are no longer defined by their wickedness, sin, stubbornness. They are no longer defined as slaves in Egypt. They are no longer defined as idolaters. They are ones who are loved by God. They are God's people. They are his heritage. I want to connect the dots for us today because I don't want this to stay a couple thousand years in the past. I don't want it to stay just a story that we talk about today because we've seen rebellion. We know what rebellion is. Hopefully, God is bringing to mind and can, you know, plucking your heart with what rebellion looks like for you. I don't want us to think that grace is like a get out of free, get out of jail free card because sometimes we think that. We say, you know, God, I mean, if you read this story carefully, God could have destroyed them. In fact, he was saying, I should wipe them off the face of the earth. They're rebellious, they're stubborn, they don't trust me, they don't keep covenant with me, they are rebelling against me, they disobey me. I should just wipe them off, the, I should just burn them and just wipe them off the face of the earth. He could have done that and none of us could have ever objected to God's right to do that. But look what redemption, I mean, looks like. So just That's what rebellion can do. So just whatever rebellion looks like in your life. But look at our need for redemption, rescue, forgiveness, identity. Great, Jeremy, I get it. Rescue, forgiveness, identity. How does that happen? Forming a little statue? No. Forming a good little religious statue for us to worship? No. Forming a nice little spiritual whatever, good thing, good works, good deeds? No. That's all idolatry. That's all leading you to destruction. We're going this way. We're going to run to our gracious, loving, heavenly Father. In Christ Jesus, we have redemption. In Christ Jesus, we are rescued. We have forgiveness. We have a new identity. In Christ Jesus, we are saved from our covenant-breaking rebellion, from our disbelief and distrust, rebellion from our rebellion of disobedience, from our chronic condition of rebellion. We need rescue. We need forgiveness. We need a new identity, but we don't have to rescue ourselves. We cannot rescue ourselves. We cannot atone for ourselves for forgiveness. We cannot secure for ourselves a good, holy, pure, Godward identity. It has to be done for us. Redemption has to happen for us. We have to be purchased. We have to be set free. How is that possible? Don't tune out if this sounds familiar to you. This is good news we need to hone in on. In Christ Jesus, we have redemption. Look at this. Okay, Moses, verse 24 to 25. Moses says, you are a rebellious people since I have known you. Verse 25, I'm gonna, I, I prayed on behalf 
of your behalf, on your behalf. I lay prostrate before the Lord for these 40 days and 40 nights because the Lord had sworn that he would destroy you, said that he would destroy you. Moses is an intercessor on behalf of the people. He, he lays himself down before the Lord on behalf of the people, whereas he could have just walked aside and said, you know what, God, just do it. I'm done with them. But rather he says, God, please, on, on behalf of these people, I, I am, what an intercessor does, he's not arguing or trying to twist God's arm to change God's mind, but rather he is taking the position that God's people should take. Does that make sense? That's what an intercessor does. Where God's people should be laying prostrate, praying before the Lord, they weren't. They were rebelling. They were doing their own thing. An intercessor comes in and says, they should be doing that, but they're not, so I'm going to do it on their behalf. I will pray and lay prostrate before the Lord. That's what Moses does. And here's what Hebrews 9 tells us about Jesus. Therefore, he, Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgression, transgressions committed under the first covenant. Are you following with me here? The writer of Hebrews says, hey, just like Moses was a mediator of the, new, of the old covenant, just as Moses was the intercessor on behalf of God's people, Jesus does that for you and I today even uses the word redeems, that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. His death has occurred that redeems us from transgressions committed under the first covenant. See, that's good news. Jesus is the mediator of the faith for us. He does what we should do, but we don't. We rebel. We are idolaters. We do that. Jesus lays prostrate before the Lord and says, I lay myself down on behalf of these people. Jesus provides rescue, which is redemption. Titus 2.14 says that he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. That is such good news. Jesus gives us forgiveness because redemption is forgiveness. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And in Christ, by Jesus, we have a new identity as redeemed people. As Galatians 4, 5 says, that he has redeemed those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. In the original Greek, that means sons and daughters. It means children of God. Friends, I cannot stress enough that rebellion is a chronic condition for every human who has ever lived. It may look different for you. It may look prettier for you than it does for me. My rebellion's pretty ugly. Your rebellion may be cute, but rebellion's rebellion nonetheless. Some people's rebellion has a southern accent. Some people's rebellion is, you know, punk rock. Whatever. <laughs> Rescue is what we need. God, out of his mercy, provides it through Jesus Christ. And I cannot stress enough, the beauty of redemption is that we have a new identity, adopted sons and daughters of God. Redemption means we are no longer defined by our rebellion, by our sin, by our wickedness, by our sarcasm, by our, our addictions, by our struggles, whatever. Those things may come and try to nip at you every day of your life. 
You may spend the rest of your life fighting the rebellion that's in your heart and fighting the rebellion of your attitude and and fighting the disbelief and distrust that is just breeding within you. But man, do not bury it with some cute little religious idol, but rather expose it and say, God, have mercy on me. And if you beg before the Lord to have mercy on you, he will bring to light the truth of the gospel that in Jesus you were no longer defined by your sin and wickedness, that you were defined as a son or daughter of God, the King, because Jesus has redeemed you. In Jesus, you have redemption. In Jesus, you have rescue, forgiveness, and a new identity. And that's good news, right? That's good news. On that note, let me just close and say this. If you are here and you are not a believer, we want you to know more than anything Jesus. This is what we want you to know. We can nitpick about the you know, styles and whatever if you want, but I would just rather you just walk out of here saying, you know what? In Jesus, I'm forgiven. I have a new identity. Just take that with you. That's what I want everyone to know here. I want us all to repent. I want us to confess our rebellion and disbelief. Repent. That means to turn from our rebellion and turn to God through Christ and believe the gospel. And then with that good news, embrace that new identity. Embrace the forgiveness which is ours in Christ and celebrate that together. Let me pray. Father God in heaven, you are a good and holy God. I thank you for your mercies to your people throughout generations. God, I thank you that when we look at Deuteronomy in the Old Testament and stories of Israel and Moses, we see a snapshot of what's to come for us in Christ. God, I thank you that your mercy uh, was, was to your people Israel, and now we are recipients of your grace and mercy through Christ. And so, Lord, I pray for all of us in this room. God, if there are non-believers here or folks who are seekers, doubters, and skeptics or folks who are long-time believers, God, I pray that you would um, expose the sin and wickedness and stubbornness and rebellion that's in our heart. But, God, may we not try to fix it ourselves, but, Lord, humbly that we would lean into the cross of Christ, that through Jesus we have redemption, we have a new identity, we have forgiveness, we have rescue. God, I pray that there would be great joy in that as individuals, married couples, families, as communities gathered together here today. So God, I pray that you stir us up as your people in Christ's good and holy name. Amen.